Hi, I'm Brendan McAdams, and it's another episode of the Sales for Founders podcast. Today, we're speaking with Daniel Zarek, who's the co-founder of Arrows, and it's a collaborative onboarding tool for high-touch customers, particularly for SaaS. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about SaaS customers and engagement and, and, uh, and getting onboarding right. Uh, so it's uh, an ideal conversation, I think, for a lot of you. If you like this episode, please leave us a review, and, and we love getting comments. So if you got a comment or a question, leave those, and we'll have a shout-out in a future episode. And with that, let's dive right in. Well, Daniel, uh, it's good to have you today. Um, uh, we have Daniel Zarek with us uh, from Arrows. And uh, D- Daniel, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and Arrows before we dive in to talk about sales in particular. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Um, so I'm Daniel Zarek. I'm the co-founder of Arrows.to. I started my career as a second product manager at Twilio right out of design school. So it's an interesting transition, I guess, design school to product management. Uh, I guess for the context of this podcast, my dad's sales guy. So I grew up around a sales person who runs his own lead generation and sales business. So I've always had that context in the back of my mind. I'd always talk to him. So at Twilio, even though I was a product manager, I actually was doing a lot of sales-like work. And our head of sales there was always trying to get me to come be a salesperson at his, on his team. And I was like, no, no, it's, I'm good at it because I'm a product manager, not because I'm showing up as a salesperson. So either way, I had that. Uh, after I left Twilio about eight years ago, I've been running a design and development app studio for a number of years until that turned into Arrows. So now we have, have this going. So, so tell us uh, just for our uh, for listeners, uh, give us a little background on arrows because this is uh, to me this is a, like a fundamentally important component when it comes to sales and and uh, especially for founders uh, to understand this and for SaaS founders in particular. So dive into that for a minute, would you? Yeah, definitely. So arrows is a collaborative onboarding software for your high touch customers. So it's generally a replacement for you know if you have an onboarding spreadsheet somewhere. You send a Google Doc to people, new deals that you have. You use a project management tool or a shared base camp or something with your customers. Arrows is a better replacement for those. Just a way for you and your customers to lay out your goals, the outcomes that they expect from working with you, and have you together work towards those outcomes. So it's a collaborative tool for you to work together towards outcomes with your product. A lot of people call them mutual action plans or success plans. We don't really care what you call it. It's just a, a tool to work people towards your together towards outcomes. That's great. Cause I, I, um, you know, I, I, I make a point of stressing the importance of, of a sale not being over until well, long after the contract is signed, because if you don't, if you can't get uh, your customers up and running and successful and referenceable, then, then it really isn't an effective sale and you can't use it as a reference. You can't, you, you, you churn and all those sorts of things. So, so this, that kind of focus on, onboarding and customer success, I think is critically important. And we'll, we'll dive into that in a minute, but. Uh, I think you hit on something interesting there. Actually, we talked about this on our podcast. We do our own podcast at just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a week, but we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Like why now, like, why is this sort of tool now yeah. more useful? Yeah. And it feels like we are all, you know, sales tools are more mature, like the pre-sale sort of tools and the post-sales sort of customer success, how do we get more revenue out of the customer and help them get to their goals are less mature. And we're all starting to focus on that negative churn and revenue growth over time and making sure customers activate. And this is that why it feels like a good timing. Yeah. And, and I, I really, I think this is a, 
this is fundamental to the sales process. And this is, this is an important component to make. It actually, I think can make for founders, make the sales process much easier to, 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 um, to get behind, you know, in a lot of cases, we have, That's a good point. That, you know, you have, they have resistance to getting involved in sales and ah, it's, I just want to build, I don't want to, I don't have to talk to customers. And this is a kind of a way to, to kind of force that issue and also uh, make it more comfortable. I think. Yeah. Like signing a deal is one step on the way to getting a customer to be successful. It's not the end point. Yeah. And I do think a lot of people think of sales and signing a contract and getting the customer in the door as the end when it's yeah. really just barely the start. Yeah. And, and in fact, that's really just, it's an obstacle. It's not an obstacle so much as a milestone that they all, they also, the customer also wants to sign once they, once they make up their mind, they want to go forward. The contracts is just another milestone. And it's really, they should be looking, you know, several steps down the road after that. And, yeah, and you help them get there. Yeah. And, and we talk a lot about just how you want to be honest or upfront with your customers about all the work that they have to put into, to achieve their goals with the product. You know, even though our marketing and sales for a lot of companies will sell a magical outcome, the reality is everybody knows there's no magical outcome. You still have to put some work in and coordinate and yeah. connect some dots and, you know, plan things out and put time on the calendar and all these sort of things that you know, there's homework that you have to do and it doesn't just yeah. happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can, it's just like the sales process. If you can make it more, um, uh, you, if you can plan it, anticipate it uh, each step along the way, it takes some of the mystery out of it. It takes some of the unknown out of it. And that those things all help move people toward the successful outcome, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we agree. So, yes. so uh, but before we get into that whole, um, that whole um, kind of element of the sales process, which I think is really important, let's, you know, let's back up a little bit and talk about, so you, you've actually grew up in kind of in a sales environment, which is a little bit <laughs> unique. Like, how did that help you? Well, it's interesting. Like I mentioned, I was a product manager. Now I'm a designer. Yeah. I'm a CEO of this, but I mean, I write code, I design our app, I do content, but I also do sales all day and it's very comfortable and natural. So it's, it's helpful that that never felt like a, you know, I'd never had the curse of the developer founder who thought sales was nasty. Yeah. Like I always valued it. And, yeah. and I don't look at it, you know, I look at it as helping people buy the thing that they want to buy if they want to buy it, not convincing people to buy things they don't need. You know, like I had a, I think a healthy perspective on it, which was uh, nice because I was around it and, you know, in high school would talk to my dad about his business and what he was doing and who he was working with and how they did it. And yeah. That was very helpful. That's That's great. Can you, can we, uh, can we walk through a couple of them or some of the early ones or, you know, or more difficult ones or kind of ones that are illustrative? Yeah. I think there's, you know, a few came to mind when you mentioned this before. There's, there's one at Twilio. So at Twilio, for example, you know, it, Uber was a big customer when they went public yeah. when, and it was in their uh, S1 that like they were a risky customer because they spent so much money, but Uber started out um, maybe, I don't think they may, they probably had an account at Twilio, but I knew some people there. This is in 2011, I believe. Yeah. And they, as a user of Uber at the time in San Francisco, there was just a few little weird situations. A, a driver would drop you off. I'd give them a mediocre rating because the experience was bad or something. And I'd get a text message from the driver to my own personal phone number saying, hey, what's up with that? And he just dropped me off at my own house. So I was like, this is weird. He has my number 
and drop me off at my house. I don't like this. This feels awkward. So I, I basically hit up a few Uber engineers and said, can we get coffee? Yeah. And got them together and said, look, this is really messed up. This is not a good experience. You could spend an afternoon with Twilio and, and put a layer between the driver and, and the, uh, and the end user, you know, the, the writer. And they, you know, I don't think they did that afternoon, but within two weeks, I believe they went and they realized that it was like a risky thing, a security thing, a safety thing. And so they put a layer using Twilio in between the driver and the rider for text messages and phone calls and all of that. And that started a very long and deep integration where they started using Twilio for a lot of things. Before that, they were very push notification heavy or just uh, very basic. But that is the sort of thing where, you know, it started more naturally. And, you know, at that point, the sales team at Twilio took over and really nurtured the relationship. But getting customers in the door like that, where helping them, they might, they were aware of Twilio. I think they might've even used it a tiny bit, but it became a much more deep and um, explosive sort of relationship and customer because of them being exposed to the type of use cases that they hadn't really considered because they're so heads down in their own world. So I thought that was always an interesting uh, example. And then look, you know, six years later or whatever, they were their biggest customer and, you know, mentioned in the S1 as a possible risk if they left. Ah, yeah. That's, that's such a great, that's such a great example for like, um, for a reason to me, that's just so, so simple. And that is that one of the things that um, really pays off in sales and um, you know, and as a founder, you know, is just this level of curiosity and, mm -hmm. and, and a sort of discomfort with the way things are. And, yeah. and, you know, you, you spot a situation that's, you find sort of, um, you know, it's a little, um, it's a little cringy, right? The, the fact that they're sending you yeah. text messages. This feels bad. Yeah. It felt, and so, so there's a, there's a problem there. And then the curiosity of going to figure out, Hey, you know, doing the little market research with a bunch of, uh, bunch of Uber drivers. And then, and then it just, I think that's a, that's a great example of how, Little and that gets back to what I was saying about being a product manager helped because I was there with a solution instead of trying to sell them using era or using Twilio. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit more of a I'm here because I, I see an opportunity for you, not something yeah. to sell you. Yeah. And any founder listening to this, they're basically a product manager in addition to everything else. So they they're kind of wired at some level. They're wired that way anyway. Right. To, to be thinking yeah. in terms of how to solve this problem. If you're on the lookout, if you're curious and on the lookout for certain problems, then when they. They, they, they trust me they'll they'll appear there are plenty of them out there right Probably. yeah exactly yeah yeah i think that that's something we're trying to think about even with arrows we we do it pretty well now but a lot of the features we're developing are really about helping people have an obvious outcome an obvious oh yeah we should do that we should yeah. implement that i think spark loop lewis's app is a great example of something that does that yeah. if you're at a decent scale of course I want this, you know, yeah. it's like, a, and of course an oh, obvious yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and we are trying to make sure we have it more of those sort of situations with arrows where it's like an obvious thing. And, and that's really what we're working towards. I think it's interesting too. I we're scaling the company a little bit more now. And so I'm signing up for a lot more services and apps and I'm receiving PDFs and certain checklist tools that arrows would do better for them like it would be a better use yeah. of arrows for them than whatever they're using and i'm going through the onboarding process and then able to come back to them and say hey by the way as a customer this is maybe would have been nice so this would have been helpful and 
And that's been, it's out of that curiosity and the desire for it to be better for them, not necessarily that I'm trying to sell them. That's yeah. when I've, I've heard that feedback, even in our own demos versus some of our competitors that we generally are more curious at the start about them and their process and how they do it and how they prefer to do it and what they want. Then yeah. we, you know, show our product and talk about it and try to make sure we can shape it towards what they want. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. I just was sticking with this Uber Twilio example for just another second. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that uh, the takeaway, another takeaway is that was a legitimate uh, cold call in the, in the, in the sense of, you know, you didn't know the engineers at Uber before. Uh, I think I knew them from Twitter, maybe right, we had never but, met. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but again, not a cold call because you'd done the homework and and uh, it, it was probably a, some uh, there's probably some fun involved with, the you know, doing the homework, you know, talking to a bunch of of uh, Uber drivers just to get their their take on things. And so so that to me, that's a that's a key takeaway right there is that this this notion that you can uh, you can do a little background, do a little research. And then when you go to make the when you go to approach the engineer or whomever it is inside the company that you're looking to connect with you know something about them that's meaningful, that's, that's impactful, that's compelling for them to, so for, right at the end, right at the outset, they, they, you've got their attention. So it didn't, yeah, I'm guessing it didn't take a lot of, to get their attention at that point. No, it just seemed obvious. I think the use case was obvious. The yeah. risk of not doing it was obvious. And then luckily we had a, a product or a solution that was fairly simple for them to, yeah. to integrate. So it just, it was a quick win. And, and then once they were in the door, the thing, you know, back to the, the net, never net, I always say it wrong, net negative retention. Yeah. Is that right? Net negative retention, net negative churn, net yeah. revenue retention. There's both ways of saying it. They're always, yeah. they always flip them up either way. But once we got them in the door, their usage grew, they expanded the, how they used it, but it was that first sort of yeah. thing that was an obvious win that made it very easy for them to understand how to use Twilio better. They got, they get dipped their toes in, in the water and then they saw a bunch of other opportunities for how to use it. And I thought that was the part that was also interesting. And we see that with arrows too. Like you don't have to sell the entire product, right? Right. You can sell the piece of it that yep. they need right now yep. and then let people learn it and expand it. Yep. Uh, expand their usage over time. Yeah. You identified a very specific, tangible, immediate problem and then solve that. And, and then, and then they start looking for other opportunities. Oh, this could work. Yeah. Otherwise it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's too much. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. yeah. Or too yeah. much. Yeah. Too much risk in particular. Right. I mean, oh, I too. Have to do and too many people involved. I'm going to say you have to sell more people. There's yeah. more stakeholders probably. Right. Yeah. right. Budgets. Now Higher you're dealing budget. with multiple yeah. budgets and oh, it's yeah. So, and, and that, that's the, with an enterprise deal, and that was to talk about an enterprise deal, um, that's a you know, with an enterprise deal, it's it's almost impossible these days to go out and just sell a huge deal right out of the gate. You you, mm -hmm. you have to kind of find you know, as a customer used to tell me the thin edge of the wedge, you have to find yeah. your way in, and then from there, grow. We've, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into a product conversation too much, but that's we've designed arrows with that in mind, we are building arrows as a product and a platform with that in mind, yeah. because after my, as a product manager, I also did internal tools at Twilio. So yeah. I was the person who was integrating on the product side and then often in conjunction with another stakeholder buying tools and, and yeah. doing that work. Yeah. And so seeing how it, the process of how people made decisions around 
what we should integrate and how we put time on the calendar to get engineers to do that work. Yeah, we, we, we try to be cognizant of that, even in how we are shaping our product, because we know that's a challenging yeah. thing to get like a multi-month integration on the calendar. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's great. That's a great example. Um, do you have a, do you have a sales example from arrows then? Yeah, there's actually one that was coming to mind. The, I'm in the process of it right now. So I, I don't know if I want to mention the company, but yeah, you don't know there. No need. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I know the CTO, one of the co-founders and yeah, I think I just shot him a text and I actually talked to their head of success six months ago or nine months ago when we first yeah. were rolling out arrows and they had a different person and they just rolled out Gainsight and Gainsight is a very big customer success platform. It's pretty hefty. It's been around for a number of years. It takes multiple months to get set up and they just rolled it out. And she was very proud that they had just spent all this time rolling it out. And it turns out, I don't think they ever really started using it. They just never really activated with it. It took all this work and that head of success. It was the tool that I think that she brought in and she wanted and she was comfortable with. Now that head of success is gone. And I hit up the CTO co-founder guy again, a few months later, I realized that they had a new head of success. I think I noticed on LinkedIn or something. Yeah. And so they didn't use arrows back then. They just were like, oh, they gave us some feedback, but they just kind of were like, eh, shrug. <laughs> and now I talked to this new head of success who just started there and she's, we click immediately on the phone. We spend a half hour on the phone. We're running out of time. We have, we're not even talking about arrows too much. We're talking about her goals and what, how, what she's doing there and all the things she's just we're just very much clicking and, and, and have a shared perspective of how things go. So it was clearly just a better, more fruitful relationship to start with. And she came in. And so she's what we've seen all the time is that, you know, a new leader, and this happens in a lot of categories. I think a new leader on a team is often somebody who wants to bring in new tooling, a new process and, yep. and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, great timing. She's been there a month. She's tracking down and focusing on these new metrics and, and then it turns out, you know, she's the head of success and she's hiring an onboarding ops person. So this person who's coming in to manage, they have six or eight people that do onboarding full-time yeah. for all their customers. So they're bringing in an operations person to help those people and support them to make sure they have the best processes and Salesforce set up and all the things they need. And so he's starting a month later. So she and I schedule another call when he comes in and, and, and now I'm, I have another call with them tomorrow. It'll be our fourth call for our product is not very expensive right now. And so it's not really a money thing, but the, the cycle is taking longer, but we're realizing a lot that there's, there's a lot of, a lot of tracks that have to be laid to yeah. buy our product, right. you know, but the timing when it's right, people are ready to go. Yeah. And so they, they, you know, we had a first call, planted some seeds in their mind, had a second call with her and this new onboarding ops person, it got him excited. That call was an hour long, just to spend more time talking about it. Then I've been suggesting a lot of our demos end now do a half hour sales demo. Now I end them and say, let's do an hour working session. Let's put time on the calendar again, where we can work together and lay out your arrows template and build this together. Yeah. Sometimes we actually do it. A lot of times we're just going deeper and more specific into their use cases and they still go do it later, but it gets them thinking about it more and gets time on the calendar. So that happened with this guy. And he had done a lot of work on his end to plan out what he wanted their onboarding process to look like. And a lot of that work is outside of arrows. It's extending into Salesforce and how he's setting up their system there to enable these other use cases. And then now we ended that call. And now we have another call where he's bringing in two or three of his onboarding people so they can get trained up on arrows. 
so what we've tried to do is, and, and, and he's committed, like they have the budget set aside. They're ready to use arrows. They're going to use arrows. They're yeah. going to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. We're just nudging them forward down the pipe of getting it set up and getting their thinking right and getting their systems connected, but we couldn't really force it before. Yeah. Maybe I could get them to sign a contract and, and pay. We're, we're just not in that mode where we care to push that, but it's, it's been interesting seeing, a, we have a number of these customers where they're aware of us, they want to use us, but the timing doesn't work out and they come back six months later. So we just try to keep checking in and being there when people have the, the moment of ripeness where they're ready yeah. to, yeah. to have like all the time, oh, we're going we're gonna to use arrows. And then six months later, they finally reach out because they have three deals closed and they're like, oh, now we need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that's fascinating. So um, you're, this is all sales. It's funny because it sounds so much like implementation and yet it's really sales because it's happening before the sales done. And, and it's, it's fundamental. It's It's strategy and success with them. Yeah. Implementation. That's all of it. You're really working together as a, as as a team. Right. And and if it's that, that sort of a product, that's the, that's the, how the sale plays out. And I think from our perspective, we are trying to, as a company, and we're early, so hope, fingers crossed, we can maintain this and that actually is a, a fruitful perspective to have through business, but being generous with our time and our, yeah. our knowledge. And so we're trying to make our content, you know, free and generous, you know, not gate a lot of it. Yep. Um, we're trying to spend a lot of time with customers on calls where we, where we, um, work with them and help them think yep. through yep. onboarding best practices and their strategy. But also one of the first hires we're going to make is a success person who is very strategically or good at st- thinking strategically about the success processes. Yeah. So we want him to work with our customers and, and, um, and help them think about all their st- success processes and where in onboarding fits into that process. You know, like we we've recognized that we are one component of it, but really for people to be most successful with arrows, they have to have everything else before and after yeah. how they use arrows lined up as well, or else we are just a, yeah, we, we don't really matter at that point if everything else is falling apart. Can, can you share with us how many customers you have, or is that, is that, uh, uh I th- yeah, we're, we're, we're still early in that way. Like we, we've okay, not so, been a, yeah. And like a, we talk about sometimes on our podcast. So if people go track it down with, sometimes you mention it, but that's okay. Just- we, yeah. I think what we've been thinking about a lot though, is working heavily with these people and making sure the product solves things for them right. well, before we really start pushing people through a sales process, like a repeatable one. Sure. So, yeah. so that's, so as you're, you know, it, you're in the early stages of you're, you're still picking up your early customers. So a lot of things are yet not completely figured out. You're kind of totally. documenting as you go, you're trying to uh, systematize as you go. You're trying to, you know, it's all founder led sales still. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so as you go through these, are you, you're obviously running up against certain customers that are just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll, Definitely. you'll have a, a big customer, but they're, then what, what do you do there? What do you do in that situation? We're still figuring that out. I think Right now, we definitely tell people when we're not a good fit, you know, people will come in and say, I want to do this, this, or this. And we're like, yeah. well, we are really good. We try to, and, and people, because they know that we're early, they know that we launched in March and that we just, you yeah. know, started building sure. about a year or so ago. And so they sometimes can sense the nascency of the product. Yeah. And so they'll ask things. And, and I, as a designer, product developer type, 
founder who's also doing sales have to try to very actively pull myself back from talking too much about what we're building in the future or what we want to build. Right. I, right. I get in that trap sometimes, and that's a challenge. And I find myself both signaling to the customer, especially these early ones who are a good fit, but also the larger ones that maybe are a bad fit right now. We like to support them in the future. I, I try to re recontextualize the conversation and say, no, 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 we, we want to solve that in the future, but right now we are a really good replacement for your onboarding spreadsheet or your base camp. If you use that or Asana and you share it with customers, yeah. I try to recontextualize what we are a great replacement for. So that way, if they're using one of those certain, certain tools or processes yeah. and it's breaking down in X, Y, Z ways, they would be great to switch to us and we will provide X, Y, Z value, you know, yeah. or we will, these features sure. will enable this outcome for you. And then we try to buy them or get them bought in on that idea of yeah. starting here and we will grow together into these other use cases, but letting them know we are really, really good at this. Don't yeah. feel any sort of uh, feeling that, you know, but if, if those aren't what you need, then great. Like we will just stay in touch and I'll, I'll check in with you in six months when we maybe have those features or, or whatever. So you will, you will kind of <clears throat> walk away from a customer that isn't, that isn't in your kind of, you know, in the center of your bullseye, so to speak, in the center of your target. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and part of that is we've been a smaller, more narrow solution so yeah. far. And we're, we take all that as feedback and we're yeah. trying to, you know, some things that people want from us are just outside of our, you know, if we go in the bullseye narrow era, yeah. Uh, yeah. The direction, like where our arrow's going, if we're yeah. kind of guiding that, yeah. we'll like nudge ourselves here or there based on what some, we think that this customer should be a customer of ours, or this yeah. person we're talking to, but they want it to do this or this. And we try to consider that and take that in and, and set our product direction down that path. But yeah, if we're, if we're not winning, this is why I was the customers that we currently have, we're not really excited about sharing because we, we actually believe that we have a product, um, uh, thing now where there are people who buy arrows and they really, really want arrows as it is right now yeah. because it fits their idea yep. of what the process is yep. and what they want for the process. We yep. have a lot of people who are just one step over on either side who are like, oh, I want this, yep. but I wish it did it in this slightly different way. And we want to solve that, but we just haven't uh, gotten the product to that point yet where it can solve for all three or four of those types of people yeah. using the same kind of core components, but represented in a different way for them. So we're happy to let those people wait. We'd rather them wait and wait till we solve for them better because it doesn't feel like yeah. right now we're not losing deals to other people. We're actually, and this is, I think will probably be the case for a while. We're not losing deals to other tools. Mm -hmm. We're losing deals to people staying the same. Like they're, they're staying with their current process or their current, yeah. current tool, their current Asana or spreadsheet or whatever. Yeah. That's, and that's fine with us. Stay there. That's fine. We yeah. will make the product better until you lean into it and get excited about yeah. diving in. As long as we're not losing you to somebody else, like we're fine. Yeah. If we're losing them, maybe we would have more, more to feel bad about because that would maybe feel like we were behind, but it's, it's not that. Well, yeah. What that's indicating is that they were there. The, the pain is great enough that they wanted to make, they, they want to move. They want to do something. They're willing to mm -hmm. take the risk of doing something as opposed to staying with the status quo. Uh, and right now, you know, you're, you're, yeah, that's exactly, that's the right way to look at it because those, those are future customers. Those are, you know, in the um, Jeffrey Moore kind of uh, crossing the chasm world, those are kind mm -hmm. of more main, more uh, 
uh, uh, mainstream customers as opposed to early adopters. It's one of the, my favorite books, by the way. I literally held, I held the book up. It's right next to my yeah, desk. It's a, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a great book. And so, so that, uh, yeah, you need those early adopters, you know, the kind of the bleeding edge sort of people. And that's kind of, and you're kind of now starting to see that you're getting that point where you're going to get the early mainstream adopters. Uh, and so we'd rather get the whole, mainstream ones or the early ones and then yeah. grow with them and expand with them. Yeah. And then we'll get the other people when yes. it's obvious for them. Instead of them switching earlier and me pushing harder for them to switch yeah. earlier yeah. and having it not work, I don't want people switching off. Yeah. The people we lose right now typically switch off because they never activate because yeah. they don't have the tracks laid to properly do onboarding right now. Yeah. People who are actively doing an onboarding process, typically if they switch to us, don't switch off yet. So we, we've been very yeah, yeah. excited about that. Now we're working on how do we help the people who are a little bit bigger, have maybe more specific processes that don't currently fit our angle of it. How do we pull them in a little bit more without making them shift too much of their process to us. We want to, we want them to be able to like, maybe we meet in the middle. They shift a little bit of what they're doing and we shift a little bit what we're able to provide and yeah, together that, we get there. And that's, that's the, uh, crossing the chasm. The whole notion of that is, is those early adopters are willing to, uh, to, to say that somewhat differently, they're willing to suffer along with you more. They're yeah. willing, they want to be on the cutting edge there and they're willing to, to recognize that the product that they're working with has some shortcomings but they, but they can, but they want to be early mm -hmm. for whatever, for various reasons, it's status or they're, they're, they're wired that way, or because they, it's, it's, they see it as a competitive advantage or they can influence the, the product direction, whatever. Yeah, a lot reasons. of people like to influence that they want to be there. They want yeah, to those, say that they were around. Yeah. Those are, those are, and you, it's so important to be able to find those customers early because they're the customers that you're, they're going to need when you're just getting your feet under you and then at the same time later on they're going to go away because they you're not cool anymore right yeah you're you're not edgy enough you're not you know you, everything works and there's documentation and those <laughs> things that, right so or yeah maybe you even start changing who you serve better like we, we've recognized right. that that there's there's a risk that we maybe start serving a different type of customer that is different than our early customers yeah and and we maybe don't support the early ones as well as we did earlier on but we recognize there was a different opportunity. So yeah. we'll, we're trying to make sure we can do both, but there's a risk there, yeah. you know, of, yeah. So, so I'll um, take a minute. So we, we've sort of been kind of bouncing around on, on onboarding and, and weaving into sales. So this is kind of, this is great, but uh, let's kind of go into sales and onboarding in kind of a more direct way. I have a, I have a philosophy about, especially for, and this is why I was looking forward to talking to you about this, because to me, I, I make the onboarding integration, implementation argument or that those those things to me are part of the big risk of a sale mm. uh, you know uh, you know a SaaS sale or any kind of large enterprise sale implementation onboarding um uh, you know uh, those are those things are the are the things that oftentimes can make a deal go south because what you're what you're looking to do is you're looking you, you're kind of forcing a behavior change on someone you're making yeah. them go yeah, we talk about it's organizational change even it's or, not even behavior on an individual it's, you have to shift oh, yeah. the entire organization yeah. yeah and you have to you have to get um you have to get early adopters on board you have to get um uh evangelizers if you will you want a certain number of people that are highly motivated to kind of tout all the you know the advantages of this new thing and you're kind of the 
You That's a good point, actually. There's a lot of, you might get the organization to buy in and then you still have to get the individual users at the organization you, to, yeah, to sign and, up and start using as well. Yeah. And so in the sales process now, it depends, you know, for listeners, it depends on how how complicated, you know, the, the, the product is that you're selling. But if it's relatively complicated, you, you want to be talking during the onboard, during the sales process, you want to be talking to users. And ideally, you want to get to enough users to figure out who the users are that are going to that are really going to benefit from this new world, but what you're offering. And, and one of the things I do from a sales standpoint, from a pitch, from a, I don't like the word pitch, but from a sales process standpoint, I, I want to, I want to kind of make, um, draw a line in the sand that says, Hey, listen, we expect you to be successful. We want you to be successful. We can't afford to have you not be successful. And our expectation in the back end is that we're, you're going to, you're going to, help us after you're successful you're going to be a reference you're going to you're going to speak at conferences you're going to you might take part in a press release whatever those things are and i i believe that you, those things ought to be part of the conversation up front and <clears throat> i kind of i'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that well it's i think that was one of the first things i had in mind related to that not that directly but i think a lot of folks especially the founder product type folks that we're talking about often are worried about asking questions during a sales process and yeah. onboarding process that right. maybe that will, that they feel will complicate things. And what we, our perspective and yours as well yeah. is that actually you need to lay out all those questions and parameters and get everybody on the same page. Yeah you know, what is your timeline here? You can just ask people, what, when do you yeah. expect this to go like, yeah. what are your goals? What do you expect to happen here? What, and, and be very specific, not just like, oh, we want to increase our sales. No, no. Like how much do you want your sales to increase? Like, what are you yeah. expecting this? Let's yeah. be realistic. And like, yeah. let's write that down. Yeah. So that way we can work towards them together because yeah. yes, if you hit those goals, we want to put that in a case study on the website or we want to, yeah. but yeah. we also want to make sure that we're working towards them. Yeah. And then again, six months in or a year in, there's a renewal conversation and you're like, they're saying, ah, well, you know, we don't know, like, what should we pay for this still? And you're saying, well, remember a year ago, you told us your goals were to get a 20% increase in sales. And look, we are, we're at 24%. We've, if yeah. you stop paying us, like we should readjust your goals, but we also hit your goals. So why would you start, yeah. you know, and people have to, by putting this stuff down and getting people on the same page and getting aligned on a timeline for implementation, who should be involved, all that sort of stuff you, you can get ahead of problems and get ahead both for yourself and them yeah. Yeah. and have them understand, Oh, we, we want to roll this out in a week. And you're like, Ooh, our average onboarding is three weeks. Yeah. And it's possible to do it in one week, but you have to do X, Y, Z to make that happen and being able to get ahead of that with them and say, well, you know, we think two weeks would be the better aim, but we need to put this time on the calendar. You can work with them to a lot of people just kind of fingers crossed. We got the deal. Great. Let's hope they, let's not say anything and hope they figure it out Yeah, and yeah. it just doesn't work, you know, or no. so it works for some people, but then you wonder why it doesn't work for everybody. And also it wouldn't work in that uh, Twilio or Uber deal because it, you know, if it fell apart, the first deal falls apart, then they, you, you, you don't get the second and third and fourth deals. Right. And those are the bigger, yeah. those are the bigger, more profitable, you know, opportunities. Um, I would go so far as to say in those, well, one of the questions, I mean, those are all excellent questions in terms of, you know, knowing these things up front, I would ask them, what would, what can go wrong? How will this yeah. go wrong? 
right? Yeah, because like, they know what what their organization, yeah, yeah. how they buy stuff and how they implement it and how it's gone wrong because they probably yeah. have three examples oh, yeah. in the last two Absolutely. years. Yeah. yeah. And they and and ultimately the people that you're talking to want you to be successful because they're going to make that decision and it's going to reflect. Well, they want themselves. Yes. We talk a lot about getting yeah. the making sure you have one point person who's in charge of yeah. Yeah. getting it and it should be somebody whose job it is their job is maybe not dependent on their getting fired, but the dependent yeah. on them having a good review or something yeah, right. is this rollout going well, yeah. because it means that they hit their numbers or their targets or their teams more yeah. activated, whatever. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I think that that's one of the more disarming questions you can ask someone. If you say, if you ask them, how is this going to go wrong? It's we were talking about how great this is going to be. Here's the implementation process. Where's it going to get stuck? You know, here's what we need we absolutely need data by this time, or we can't, we need mm. this. We need, we need someone on your side to give us a inter, uh, interface to your API or to these three systems. And if we don't have those, you understand we can't, we can't, we can't implement, right? You, you hit on something interesting there, the laying out the process. Yeah. And this is what arrows does, right? So this is why we've designed it to be this way, yeah. laying out the process and showing everybody all the steps and the things that they have to happen for it to go successfully, both, internally at your company and the customer's company, who has to do what and getting buy-in there and what those timelines look like. We talk a lot about mutual buy-in. So you want to get the customer bought in on that process. And then while you're walking through it, we also, yeah, you want to say, how could this not work? We can change this plan. If you think, you know, oh, this API, the person who has to integrate that API or do that step, they're slow. We can reorder those steps or pull them in earlier or wait till we've done everything else and do it later. By laying that out and not letting it become a blocker and getting ahead of it, you're exactly right. They, they can help you yeah. uh, decide yeah. that because each organization is a little bit different. Each company is a little bit different and, you know, pushing everybody through the same handful of steps yeah. in the same order yeah. is rarely going to work. Yeah. In fact, in fact um, I just had, I just did a talk on this uh, a couple of weeks ago where, where we, I talked about how, and this, and you just kind of touched on it and that is, Every customer is different. And so in the early part of the sales cycle, you're actually doing discovery about yeah. the implementation process itself and the onboarding and so forth. So you're, these early conversations are helping you to decide. And this is why you can't, you can, you can kind of push off a final price. You can push off, you know, to, because you, you know, you're trying to understand the implementation process, the onboarding process, all the integration, all those sorts of things. And so, so the, you, you don't want to give them some generic implementation plan at the front end because it doesn't reflect who they are, right? And actually pushes them away. I yeah. mean, so we signed up for a tool in the last two weeks where I've got a generic plan and I was like, oh, okay. Like we don't need to do three of these steps. I know yeah. two of them are maybe optional and I don't know. And yeah, yeah it made me feel weird. I'm spent thousands of dollars on this tool. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, this is weird. I wish you were giving me more of a customized plan for the size and state and stage of our company. Yeah. And it didn't feel that way at all. Yeah. And, and, and if you can, you can, you can even say, Hey, we have a, we have a kind of a, a general implementation plan, but um, like you're almost better off after you've done a couple here are, here are samples that we've done for other companies and then yeah. see how they differ. And this is why we're asking some of these questions because your, you know, your, your mileage may vary, you know, you're a different organization than, you know, if you're in oil and gas, you're definitely a different company than a wall street company. Right. And, you know, if, and, uh, and so those, but, but that kind of discovery um, 
really increases the likelihood that you're going to get to the point where you're going to be successful in the end, both in terms of getting a contract and also getting to a successful customer. I think you mentioned something interesting about doing in the discovery phase, you know, pre during yeah. the sales process, yeah. whatever that looks like, almost working from the assumption of this deal will have, I mean, you start early. We talk a lot about appetite. Like we ask yeah. people what their appetite is. Like, you know, what are you feeling? Are you excited about this? Where are you in the process of buying? Are you convinced or are you yeah. exploring? Are you yeah. kind of leaning back or leaning in? Yeah. And if they are leaning in, they're interested Just start from a source or from a standpoint of, of this is going to happen. Let's just talk about what it would look like once it happens. Yeah. So st- skip ahead two steps, even though they haven't signed anything and lay out the plan, yeah. what they'd have to do to roll it out. Yeah. And then they're already thinking about rolling it out and doing it. And then at that point, like we talked about earlier, signing a deal or paying or whatever just becomes like one of the first few steps in the process instead of one of the end steps. And you, you, you change the order of things and they're more interested in rolling it out than do yeah. they buy or not. Well, so, yeah. So, so there's a, the, the, the mindset at work is your, if you're a buyer is, and, and this is the way I kind of describe it is, is it's a journey. And you're at a, you're yeah. at the you're at the outset of the journey, and you have to decide whether or not you want to make the journey because to get to that place that's great, right? That to get to Nirvana or whatever you want to call that 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 better place, you're going to go through this journey, and that journey could be rocky and risky and so forth. And you need to find a way. If on the on the founder side, on the sales side, you have to be able to describe all those things that we just talked about. These are the pitfalls along the way, and this is how we're going to avoid them. And that's what this whole implementation plan, this whole mind, this whole approach, this strategy is meant to address. And that's that risk, the risk of the journey, right? Mm -hmm. Of getting to, to success. And if you're going through all that, you're basically alleviating all that fear for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to get ahead of it. I mean, we, that's why we talk about laying everything out and getting it getting on the same page and getting bought in. It's a peace of mind thing. Right. If I'm going to buy this, what do I have to do? How do yeah. I roll this out? And a lot of people, I think a lot of product and design and engineering type people, people who are not involved in the buying process or the selling process, yeah. think of quote unquote onboarding as like, um, you know, app cues or Pindo or one of these like tooltip sort yeah. of things or a, a checklist, like go add your profile photo. They don't, they think of it as something that guides people through the UI of the product because to them, that's the entire product. That's what they are offering. Right. And people forget, especially at most organizations, we talk about, you know, we were saying before, when you're buying a product or a thing at a company, it requires organizational change. Yep. Yep. Part of that, there may be 20% of that at most, or 30% is like clicking around the UI and playing with the UI to get it ready or hooking things up or using it. A lot of that is yes, how do we get ahead of the buying process? How do we deal with procurement and payment? How do we deal with getting all these stakeholders on the same page? How do we actually make decisions as a group of how we're going to use it and implement it? How do we do training? How do we roll it out? How do we go live? How do we check in to make sure we're hitting our, you know, it's all this other interesting, you can find it very interesting. Maybe these product people don't necessarily, but I find it all really interesting. How do you get people to go through these steps where the 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 product is a a tool and service of their outcomes not the outcome itself yeah and that's really fun to think about but yeah you have to get people uh, you have to support them through that process and make them feel peace of mind of how you've seen it go well and how you've seen it go poorly 
yeah. and for them, like you said, how it's gone poorly on their end. And yeah. So as we, as we kind of wrap up, uh, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but uh, this same process, I suppose at some level, this journey applies to when you, when you're talking to investors as well, mm. right? Because you have to kind of make them comfortable to spend money with you to, to invest in you. And I don't know how much you, you can talk about this, but I understand you got some news. You got, you looks like you're, you're making progress on. Yeah. For release this in two weeks, it should be fine, but yeah, we'll do that in two weeks, but <laughs> yeah. So uh, we raised a big seed round. Um, it'll, it'll probably be over by the time this is announced, but two and a half million dollars. And it, um, you know, there's, we have one big investor, one big VC, and then we have, I think, 30 or 40 individuals, you know, or, you oh, know, smaller fantastic. people. So there's a lot of folks there involved, including my old boss, the CEO of Twilio and a bunch of folks. Oh, and nice. so those people, it took a bit of work. Um, some were very easy, some were a little bit more, but it, it definitely is. The, the thing that's different with the investor side that is fun and very engaging for me and fun, it's a different challenge is, is saying, okay, here's what we do now yeah. versus a sales process where it's like, focus entirely on what we do now. And we'll, we'll tell you a little bit about where we're heading. So that yeah. way you can make a, a, a very, uh, a very a good bet that we are heading in the right direction if you want us to, but really focus on what we do now. You have to flip it on its head for the investors where it's like, here's what we do now, but yeah. here's the vision of where we're going yeah. and why this version of the future is where it's, you know, these are the bets we're laying right now. And if we, you know, iterate down this path, this is the version of the future that we're going to help enable. And this is why, you know, the timing is right now and the waves that we're riding, yeah. you know, we'd almost have to be idiots to fuck it up. Yeah. I don't know if we can curse on here, but you can bleep it, but we don't, you know, we'd have to, the waves are so big that we're, you know, and we're pretty good at building products and we're pretty good at selling them and talking about them. You know, the, the, it's a whole different, yeah. you're still selling and you're convincing, but you're, yeah. the pitch is different. And that's, yeah been fun and a, a useful and interesting exercise in a different way. Yeah. The, the thing that's been nice, I think, is we've been self-funded so far. And for a year and a half, we've talked to every type of customer and done demos and, and we just understand it all so well and what people want. So when we finally decided to go raise money, yeah, uh, it, it was a much more, the market is really interesting right now, but it was a much more fun and interesting exercise because we felt so confident in what we were doing. That's fantastic and, to hear. Yeah. Yeah, we were very fortunate that wasn't very painful. So um, it was, if anything, a little too easy. But yeah, there is some, there is a lot of money out there right now, isn't there? It's it, yeah, that part helps. Yeah, but I think the thing that people realize, and there's folks who the, the the challenge here is, and we recognized this in Arrows early on. We were trying to build a more narrow, small. Um, uh, you know, we talked about, we've been recording uh, the fundraising process while we decided. So we're really sat in our podcast at some point too, but, we, and we talked about this in a little bit more detail, but we realized that there's a certain type of business that really works well as a bootstrap company. And there's certain ones that kind of need more funding and more time. Yep. And it, it, it depends on certain, the category and what competitors exist yeah. and who the buyers are and how, what the scale is of the market and also the waves that you're riding. So yeah. for, from our perspective, if you have a bunch of big CRMs or a bunch of big email tools and people are bouncing off of those because they're so big and now there's a lot of niches and people that aren't being supported properly by those, yeah. you can kind of come in and pick those scraps up and yeah. grow to be a very nice, a nicely sized business off of those people. Yeah. But we're in a new category that is 
um, still being formed and is taking time and people are understanding it and the yeah. expectations of the customers that want to buy us are very high. We needed resources. And so we realized it was actually the opposite. The risk was that we didn't raise enough money and we suffocated our product and our business. And so we, we realized that we were holding on too tightly to being self-funded and, and it's, yeah. So it's interesting how much money is out there, but it still is somewhat being applied diligently, even though in some ways it's not, yeah. people are realizing that these software markets and SaaS markets are so big and they're growing yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And if you find the right waves, yeah, they scale up so big that you can't even really do a calculation because they're going to get so big. So yeah, yeah, it's that's you know, I, it's, it's it's we're in a, I I I I explain it as a Cambrian explosion right now yeah. because there's just so much interesting stuff and and this has been really interesting and I uh, it's a pleasure and I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you, Daniel. So yeah, um, you know this is uh, great. Um, where where can people find you? Uh, arrows.to is the website. I'm at Daniel Zarek, Z as in zebra, A-R-I-C-K on Twitter. And then you can find us through both of those, yeah. our podcast and our blog and everything else there. Excellent. All right. Well, Daniel, thanks for your time today. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. This is awesome. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the Sales for Founders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a second to leave a rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Thanks and see you next week.